0: And so, uh, we've been in the book of first Corinthians and we've been in, uh, last week chapter 10 and we were talking about Christian liberties and, uh, this, we kind of shift into, uh, uh, chapter 11 tonight and, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, some more things that, uh, just deal with that Paul was dealing with there in the church in Corinth and, uh. And honestly, it's not politically correct, all right? I'll just tell you that right off the get-go. How many know the Word of God is not politically correct? You know, God, uh, He doesn't spare our feelings. He tells us like we need to hear it sometimes, right? And how many know that God is gentle, but God is just? God is loving, but God is right. And so we have to look at the Word of God uh, in full force there and know that God... How many know that God has your best interest at heart? And so I'm reminded, but that some of you are going, man, what are we getting in tonight?" <laughs> because pastor's really prefacing this pretty pretty straightforward uh, at verse one in chapter eleven says this: "Be imitators of me as I am of Christ." I like what Paul says here if if chapter ten and eleven were divided in the most logical way, this first verse would really be in chapter 10 and not at the beginning of chapter 11, but it's not so. So chapter 10 and, uh, well, chapter 8 through 10, it talks about Christian liberty, but Paul says, if you want to know what to do, follow me or copy me, or the Greek word there is mimic me, Um, do what I do, and so, uh, you know, parents often, I've heard parents say this, and you've probably said this, you know, to your kids, is this, do what I say, not what I do. Come on, how many have ever said that? That's terrible advice. Because your kids are watching your actions. Come on, how many know your words need to match your actions? I've heard parents, you know, who have... Have said curse words around their kids, and their and the kids will go, "Mom, Dad, you're not supposed to say that." And they say, "Well, uh, you know, d- don't do what I what I do. You know, do what I say." And that, that's terrible, right? Uh, but I like Paul what he says here, and and honestly, man, it takes uh, you got to be pretty bold in your faith and know who you are to be able to say, "Hey, follow me as I follow Christ." You got to be you got to know that you're walking according to what God has for for you and he says imitate me as I imitate Christ and my hope and I don't know about you but my prayer and my desire is to be like Paul uh, you know, and 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 be able to say that. You know, our kids are are confused and can look at us, and, and when they're confused about the world and things, or, or our neighbors don't know what's going on, or our family members don't know what's going on, but they can look at you and go, "Man, there's something about that person that's worth imitating because they say what they're going to do, they do it, they they walk in righteousness, they walk in truth, and I want to be like that person." All right, Amen. So in, in essence, Paul, think about this. In essence, Paul just told a whole city, do what I do. Think about that for a minute. He, I mean, Not only did he tell a whole city, but he's telling us today, do what I uh, do. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. So let me ask you this. Are you confident in your walk with the Lord that you could do the same? Follow me as I follow Christ. You could look someone in the eye that you know that doesn't know the Lord and say, hey, follow me as i follow christ so they could mimic you and they could uh, be like you uh, you know i'm not talking about uh, preaching in front of a thousand or 10,000 people in a in a stadium but i'm talking about this your everyday life is it worth following it's amazing to me right I've seen this in my lifetime. So many celebrity pastors, i will call them that. That's the big thing now. Uh, they get big. They're, they're great orators. They could speak well, right? And, and they do really good in this big stage. But then in integrity in their life, they have a moral failure or they have a failure because guess what? Their teaching and their preaching doesn't match up with how they're living. Come on, somebody, right? So walk worthy of the call of Jesus, uh, amen? So be someone worth imitating. So we're going to look at this next portion. If you need a, a subheading here, it's it breaks off, and we're going to talk about head coverings. And, and this is an interesting subject in, in Scripture. Matter of fact, I'll say this. This is one of the only places that you'll, you'll hear about head coverings in all of Scripture. It's it's interesting. So says this, verse 2, now. Everyone say now. So in chapter 7, Paul answered the Corinthians questions about marriage, right? We talked about marriage and divorce and what that was. In chapter 8, he answered their questions concerning uh, Christian liberties. In chapter 11, he'll address order within the church, uh, particularly uh, with regard to women in verses 2 through 16. Everyone buckle up. It'll be all right. And then he'll talk about communion, verses 17 through 24. So I like this. Paul is not sparing feelings here. He's not. He's just throwing it out there. Matter of fact, uh, Corinthians could be called uh, uh, the book of uh, politically in Corinthians. Really, correction. It, it is an incorrect, you know, most people, it just does not care where you stand. Here's the truth. This is what it is. And um, and I love that. I really do. I love that. In a world that needs to hear the truth, we need to stop sparing feelings and tell people what the truth is. Amen. All right. Uh, I don't need an amen. I'm just going to assume that you agree with me on that. Uh, Here's the thing. If I'm honest here, these topics, sometimes certain topics in Scripture can make you uncomfortable. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Certain things that make you feel uncomfortable. But here's what I am to do as a minister of the gospel. I am to preach the word of God. Not what I think, but what the Word of God says. I am to align myself to the Word of God, uh, not because it's popular. Come on, somebody, right? Not because it makes you feel good, but because it is the truth. And let me tell you something about the truth. The truth, what, shall, what, make you free. Amen. We need the truth. So, so I've determined in my ministry uh, to never shy away from the truth. And I've also learned that the word of God will offend you. And when it does, I've also learned that, there's, that there is something in me that needs to change. When you get offended by the word of God, you know what you need to do? Lord, put the spotlight on me. What in me needs to change Lord, I know You're still working on me, but what? Why is this scripture offend me? Why does this bother me? Well, there's probably something in sin. You. So He says, "Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions." even as I delivered them to you. So Paul, he starts off really great. He he commends them. He's given them an attaboy. And uh, the fact that the church there was doing the things and the ordinances that, that he had addressed five years earlier, certain things he was doing. And how many know that when you when you start a conversation and it's good uh, and you're getting a lot of accolades, guess what? How many know that there's a but coming after that, right? And so he says this, uh, uh, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the tradition's. Even as I delivered them to you, then he says, but. And uh, it's a small word, right? A conjunction. But what it's doing is linking something that was said to something else behind it and and that's the goal you know it's interesting to me sometimes after church you know it's great uh you know i'll preach a sermon and people will come up and say pastor you know uh, that was a good sermon and then they'll put this little thing that's behind it that says but and when i hear that guess what i know that what's behind the compliment come on is 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 bigger than what was the compliment was right there's always that that but and so uh, uh how many know anything said uh before the but is forgotten right that's what happens in our life that's the reality of what we are so uh but there are adjustments that we all need uh from time to time amen how many could say uh, sometimes i need to be readjusted i'm not talking about the chiropractor either. Spiritually. You know what? We should be readjusted every day, right? Right? All right. I mean, I'll give you a good example of this. If we are walking this journey, it's like a ship, you know. If a ship gets off course just a little bit, uh, it doesn't seem like much. But as it goes, it goes further and further. It's further and further off course. So that's the same thing with us. And so we should be asking the Lord every day, Lord, how do I need to readjust? Help me to help my attitude today. Help me uh, uh, to to be a better person. Help me to be like you. Help me to be more righteous. Help me to be more kind. Help me to be more loving. Amen man how many know there's always room for improvement all right and if you if you uh if you say no the altars are open right now we'll pray for you right here he says this i want you to understand that the head of every man is christ and the head of a wife is her husband so um i want to just preface this out you know this is not something new that we see in scripture this is something we see time and time again especially paul he talks about this this is what we call everyone say this with me divine design everyone say divine design all right it is a uh uh, um it is a chain of command it is a perfect paradigm or a perfect order i didn't design it you know who designed it god all right, so let's, let's break this down. When I say chain of command, you know, some of you ladies might automatically get upset. And I, I want you to do this. I want you to think of chain of command not as slave chains. Come on, I want you to think of chains that you would put on your wheels in a snowstorm to keep you on the road, okay? So they're not there to, to bog you down, but they are there to help keep you going in the right direction, all right? So the Corinthians, they had lost their divine order, and many, uh, I would say this today, many have lost the same thing today. So look, look it says this, and the head of Christ is God. So uh, the divine plan that we're looking at here uh, is, is coming into play. The head of every man is Christ. Men, you are not off the hook. Christ, you answer to Christ. All right? Just, just, just throwing that out there. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God the Father. You know, and some of you would say, really? But they're, they're really, you know, Christ we know is God. They are equal. Christ is not inferior to, to God. But Christ, when he came to earth, guess what? He submitted his will to what? The Father because he understood something there's a there's a divine paradigm here that's a there's a divine order so jesus willingly he voluntarily and he gladly, maybe with just a little bit, Father, if this cup could pass for me. Remember, he said that. He, 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 he threw it out there, but he submitted to the authority of the Father. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So it does not mean that Jesus was inferior in any, any form. Matter of fact, if you look at Philippians 2, it makes it clear that Christ chose to humble himself. He chose that. He made that decision. And so I'll say this. The, the woman who chooses to humble herself to the authority of her husband does, does so not out of inferiority but of humility. Everyone say humility. All right. So, guys, I'll say this. Uh, this is not uh, a, a time for you to say, I'm the boss. She does everything that I say, and that's the way it is. I, I'll tell you this. In life, you're, she's a helpmate. She's not a slave. I heard that from the women. You know what? You are, it's a team effort. How many know that marriage is a team effort? There's a divine order of things, but listen, we are to be working together because here's what I know. There are things that my wife does well, and there are things that I do well, and it takes both of us to raise our kids well. Our kids would be one-sided if I raised them or one-sided but but we help each other. There's times where uh, I want to come down with the iron fist on the kids and Tristan says, "Hold up just a second, let's take a step back. What would Jesus do And then you know I got to step back with my iron fist and say, "I'll give you my cloak, I'll give you you know uh, you know, and she reminds me, but we're in this thing together. I'm not to be domineering it over her. so Christ is the head of the church. And the greatest example of this is that Christ is the head of the church. The church is the bride. And guess what? One day, Jesus, come on, when the Father says, hey, Jesus, go and get your bride, he's going to come and get his bride. So we see this through Scripture. It just weaves its way through there. So Paul's talking about that. Verse 4 says this, every man who prays or prophesies, uh, prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. That is uh, proof that you should be bald in Scripture. No, that's a joke, okay? All right. So in Eastern culture of Corinth, if a man was wearing something on his head, uh, like a woman would be, he would be uh, abdicating or he would be giving up his authority. I, uh, I'm not responsible for my wife or my family is, is basically what it is. So the divine order here. When you think of this covering, I want you to think of this um, just to help you out. Don't think so much in terms of I've got to literally wear a hat. I want you to think about Christ covering your head. Okay, uh, that would that'll help you out with this. He would be saying, uh, God, I don't submit to you by wearing something over his head, and I don't submit to your authority, and and, and I'm not going to be uh, responsible to to you, and I'm I'm just going to lead the way uh, that I want to lead. And some of you say, Well, wait a second, Pastor, uh, what about the Jewish people? How about those guys? Don't they pray with their yarmulke? On, don't they pray with their prayer cloths on? And and how many have ever seen that before? At the wailing wall, they wear their hats, and they, they wail, and they pray. And, and, but but here's what we know, okay? Look at this. The use of uh, of those things, the yarmulke, and the use of the prayer cloth. Listen, you know those things were not introduced to the Jewish people until 300 A.D. This is interesting, Right? So, so you know, some of you, you know, sometimes we want to try to pull those things back in. But the but the truth of the matter is those things weren't used at that point. Now, we're talking about Corinth, which is in uh, Greece, okay, present-day Greece. So you've got a bunch of people. Some may be Jews. Some may not be Jews. But the, the culture there ha- had said that, hey, eh, you know, the women should wear something over their head. How many know that still today in some societies, women are to cover their head in all places? And, you know, a lot of our muslim uh, uh people and and women you know they they cannot go out in public with their their head uncovered at all their faces to be covered but but we'll go back to say this the reasons that the rabbis teach that uh that that the head should be covered now is because moses covered his face after he met with god on mount sinai exodus thirty four thirty three. how many remember that and so, and so when they say when you wear a hat, when you wear a, a prayer cloth, what it is symbolizing is, is this. is That prayer shawl is a sign of humility before the Lord. But look at this. Paul will debunk this. How many know Paul, Paul was a great, he, he knew his stuff. He, he, he was a Jew before he was transformed by Christ. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul would say Moses wore this veil on his face. To hide the fact that the reflection of God's glory was fading from his countenance that caused him to cover his face and so he covered it said hey you know i've had this great experience with the lord but i'm gonna cover my face because i don't want you guys to know that this thing is starting to fade in my life so 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 too the jews the greeks the romans at that time if a man was going into a holy place and he had some kind of hat or head dressing on or a do rag or whatever you want to call uh, but but on his head yeah he would be saying hey i am shying away from god But here's the thing. I'll say this. Paul's telling us here, hey, gentlemen, you're free from from this requirement. So look at this. We, we, We go on a little bit further. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair to shave or her head, let her cover her head. Uh, this is one of those interesting bits of Scripture, you know, um, and here's here's the thing. I'll say this. It, you have to be very careful with Scripture. When you pull things out and, and try to make a doctrine out of one simple thing. How many know it takes multiple scriptures? It, you should have multiple scriptures to even form a doctrine. So some people just pull, cherry-pick certain scriptures, and they try to make a doctrine out of something. Can I just tell you, this is the only place in scripture that we hear about head coverings in the Bible. All right? I, I, I have something to say about that a little bit later. Come on, stick with me. I will get there. So uh, there, there are some that say women um, should never share prophecy or prayer in church setting but paul disagrees he doesn't say that here he never says they shouldn't he just says their head should be covered right that's what he says so so prophecy and preaching how many know that prophecy and preaching we'll talk about this next week are different they're two different things uh, prophecy, uh, we talk about, uh, 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 is spontaneous. And preaching is prepared and scholastic. There's some time put into preaching. There's uh, prophecy, man, the Holy Spirit just inspires you. Come on, and you just let her fly. And and, and this is saying a woman can pray and a woman can prophesy. And matter of fact, is encouraged to do so, but she has to do so with her head covering. Why? Well, we have to look at this text through the lens of the Corinthians, okay? we got to understand their culture. Okay, we can't just cherry pick it and say, hey, this just fits American culture. How many know our culture is different than the, the cultures of, of Greece? And how many know that, that if you go to Saudi Arabia, you're going to have to dress different. You're going to have to act a little bit different than you do in the United States, right? And so we, we have to look at this through the Corinthian culture. So women, here's what you need to know. Women who did this, who, who didn't wear a veil or cover their, their hair uh, at that time, there's something that we have to understand about them. Um, you know, one of the main reasons was this. Women who did not wear veils over their head or had shaved heads, guess what? Uh, you know, they were prostitutes. That was the first thing. Interesting, right? And so Paul, I think Paul's doing something here. He is showing them, hey, don't be of this world. Don't be like this world. Some people were thinking, I can come in with my shaved head and I could do these things. But Paul's saying this. Be different than the world, all right? And so uh, so we look at this. Another reason for veils is women in the church and in Corinthians culture were veils were to diver- differentiate themselves. And so uh, remember, uh, just in Corinth, there was the... The temple that was given to Aphrodite, which is the god of, of sensuality. And every night, thousands of priestesses would come down. Prostitutes would come down. And and they would have relations with people. And they would raise money for the temple of Aphrodite. And so these women that would come down, they had shaven heads. And they were easily identifiable in that time. And these prostitutes were easily recognized. And, and the Bible teaches us, listen... I want you to hear what I'm saying here. The Bible teaches us time and time again, do not, what, be conformed to this world. Romans twelve two it says it. Do not be conformed to this world. See, here's the thing, uh, uh, you know, um, and I'll be honest with you. This will preach in any culture. I don't care what it is. This will preach in any culture. Be like Jesus, don't be like the culture. Be like Jesus, don't be like the world. Amen. Come on, somebody, right? And, 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 um, and so we look at this. So a woman who, who practiced their liberty of prophesying and, and praying with her head uncovered caused confusion to the congregation, to people of that time. Because they would have looked at that and said, why is there a prostitute up here praying right now for people or prophesying over people right now? Uh, you know, I guess, uh, the way that we could look to that would be, you know, if we invited someone in here and we had a prostitute and, and, and they came in and you knew they were a prostitute and you saw them, you'd be like, pastor, why is this prostitute praying over us right now? Right? It would be almost the same thing. So look at this. Verse seven says this for a man ought not to cover his head. since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. So I want you to. To look here, this is a the chain of, of command here. This is God's divine plan. Uh, the woman is the glory or literally the outstanding reflection of the man. Buckle up, men. Get ready. You ready for this? Men, you're not going to like this. Women, you might want to underline this. You might want to take notes. You could point this out to your husband from time to time. All right. Here we go. Husbands, if you think your wife is off the wall or you think your wife is a disappointment or you're tired of her, or you're down on her, or you're mad at her, guess what? She is simply a reflection of you. Mm. I don't like that, right? I, I, I don't like that so much. And I can think back to the many, many times that I got frustrated with my wife. Many, 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 many times. When really there was probably something inside of me that I was frustrated with. And she was just revealing that thing out of me and showing that to me. So I would say this. If you feel that way about your wife, you're probably not reflecting Christ correctly. Men, husbands, all right? So if, if you're like, man, my wife doesn't do this, my wife doesn't do that, this, this, guess what? Maybe you're not reflecting Christ properly in your life. So look at this, verse 8. For a man was not made uh, uh, from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Boy, that is a tongue twister right there. For man was not made for woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. There's a divine order here. We know God created man. God created Adam in the garden, right? His first. God created him. And out of Adam's rib came woman, right? What did Adam say? She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. But now, listen, every man, every person born... And I say that to be politically incorrect. Every man, every person born is born of a woman. So while there is a divine order of things, we actually need each other. So, so yeah, all mankind comes from a woman. And listen, but women came from a man. And it all stems from God. God. That tells me we need each other. Amen? Uh, a, man, a man is not over a woman. And, you know, and I, I've heard this in weddings and stuff. You know, God took the took the rib from, from Adam. He didn't take the bone from his foot so he could walk on top of his wife. He didn't take it from his head so that she would be over him. He took it from his side so that they would be equal with each other. Come on, somebody. Amen? So, so I'll say this, dear sisters, uh, you know, seeing yourself not as... Uh, Your husband's competitor, but his completer. Boy, listen, married people, you're not in competition with each other. You're on the same team. Oh, man, if we could get that in our head sometimes. Man, if you realize that you and your spouse are against your kids. Okay, not really. But, But you are on the same team. And I think sometimes we act like more like we're in competition with each other than we are in completion of each other. So Paul, he's, he's saying, and he's agreeing with Genesis 2.20 that the woman is the man's helper. He's, she's not inferior, but she's there. There are things that my wife does so much better than me. Matter of fact, if, if, if you were to come to my house a- and you would be like, man, this house is, is decorated beautifully. It has zero to do with T.J. Skiles. Who picked these pink colors? Not me. Right? And, and so there are things that she does great, and there's things that I do okay, but we complement each other. There's a story in, in the Old Testament and the story of Abigail. And how many have ever heard that story of that, that woman Abigail in the Old Testament? And it's beautiful. She was a beautiful lady inside and out, but she was married to a man named Nabal, and Nabal's name literally meant full. How would you like to be married to a fool? Do not raise your hand. This guy's name literally meant full, and so David, uh, before he became king, he was protecting Nabal's fields from Saul and from uh, you know people from coming along. And so he stops by one day, and, and Nabal is just—he's—he's—he's he's, he's an idiot. He really is. He's dumb. He's—he's he's a few apples short of a you know you know how the sayings go. I mean, he's just not there. And David stops by and he says, "Hey, listen, I need to feed my men. I need—I need to take care of something." And Nabal says, "No way." I don't care if you've been given protection to me. I don't care. I'm not feeding you. I'm not messing with you. And so word gets back to David, and David's like, okay, I'm going to come take care of you, buddy. And, and it's amazing to me. Abigail, this lady who's married to this fool, learning that David was coming for her husband. You know what she did? She did like a wise woman did. She went and she made some cakes and she got some raisins and she got some wine. And she ran out and met David and his men before they could get to her husband. And she gave him a peace offering. Come on. And David was, he? and she said, please, please, you know, don't kill my husband. He's a fool. He's an idiot. And, 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 and think about that for a moment. Uh, e- even though, uh, you know, he was foolish, guess what? She was beautiful, and she still had the beautiful reflection of, of, of the Lord in her life, and she, she spared him. Now, he would die of a stroke, and he would die just a little bit later, and it's amazing to me. Come on, after her husband, the fool, died shortly after this, David remembered her, and he said, Oh, Abigail's a widow? I want to marry her. And he went back to her because he saw something in her that was beautiful. Amen. And and I'll just say this: Listen to you. Uh, listen to me. You know, if you are in this life. And and listen, you. I'm not telling you you're going to marry somebody else. Listen, you may you may have your neighbor, You may have married your neighbor, You may be stuck with your neighbor. But listen, at one point, come on, how many know that the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is coming back, and he's coming back for us, and, and listen, he's going to come, and he's going to redeem the time. Amen? With us. Amen. So look at this. Verse 10 says this. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, Because of the angels, so another reason that she should have, uh, you know, a head covering is that King James Version renders this word uh, a covering to power. Um, A covering is a is a better translation than power. I think there's some people that denominationally will try to to make that, uh, you know, a power play, but it's really just a covering. But the ESV here uses the word uh, symbol of authority, and so in in the Corinthian culture, the covering uh, of one's head spoke of modesty. Whoo, okay, here we go. I'll say this. One of the reasons that they covered their heads was to not be like the world. So here's what I'll tell you. You may have the liberty to dress like you want, but you dishonor your husband. Come on, somebody. When you go out in public... And you're not modest, and you got everyone looking at you but your husband, right? And, and there's a there's a dishonor to that. So, so women in particular who didn't cover their heads and had shaved heads uh, were, were prostitutes in that day. So Paul says this. He says, cover your heads. Why? Number one, for the sake of your husbands. Number two, for the sake of angels. All right? So what in the world does that mean? Why? Why am I covering my head for the sake of angels? So, you know... Angelic beings are, are beings of God's order. That's what they know. They, that's what they want to follow. Matter of fact, you know, angels that see human beings not doing things that they should do, they're they're in awe and wonder that that we would not follow what God wants us to do. But they're very sensitive to what God is doing and the way that he's doing it. Why? Because I'll tell you this. They saw a third of the other angels that were kicked out of heaven for a lack of order. Everyone say order. Isaiah 4. 14 says I want to do my own thing I want to be like God and that's what the angel said and that's what Lucifer said that day I want to be like God and, and, and angelic beings are beings of order it's a symbol of authority could mean one of two things you could write these down the authority of a to minister or prophesy, preach, because of the Holy Spirit or at Pentecost or the church's inception. So that's one thing. But the second thing it could refer to is the symbol of a man's authority over the woman. So look at this, verse 11. Nevertheless, everyone say nevertheless. In the Lord, a woman is not independent of a man, nor a man of a woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God, So this is the divine order, right? Talked about this. God created man from Adam's rib. There we go, right? And every every man or person that is born today is of a woman. So how many know that, that men and women are both vital to the body of Christ? All right. So ju- uh, it says, verse 13, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? Verse fifteen. But if a woman has long hair, it is her, it is her glory. It's a question, for her hair is given to her for covering. So, um, while we're working through liberties, you know, and things that we can do, if we're not careful, here's here's what I want you to know: if we're not careful, we can become legalistic really fast. All right, I, I've heard this preached. Uh, that if a man has long hair he 's not right with God i don't understand how you can judge a man 's heart by his haircut i just don't i don't i 'll never understand that that theology I know what this says. But I want you to look at this. I, I've, uh, uh, there are there are songs written about how long-haired hippie people need not apply. Come on. Some of you older people know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you just, just right over your head. You know, older people are like, I, I know that song. You you quoted it, right? And, and there was a time where, you know, it was always looked down. You know, and this this says that... that Men with long hair were a disgrace. Well, I'll say this. I'll just go a step further. Uh, You know, a bald man would also say that being bald is a disgrace. Right? I don't like being bald. I don't miss having my hair. I mean, you know, I'm not the same that I I once was, right? Uh, But the the question is this. If long hair is a disgrace or if it is a sin, how long is too long? It doesn't say. (laughs) So... So we got to take a step back. Uh, Paul's saying, hey, this is really what he's saying. Men look like men. Women look like women. That's, that's really what he's saying. Men look like men. Dress like men. Men, uh, you know, put your hair in a way that people can look at you and go, yeah, that is definitely a man. Now, how many know we live in a very confused society? Sometimes you look at some people and you go, hmm, I'm not sure about this one looks like a man, talks like a woman, right? And it's sad that that our society is that I know this is not politically correct, but you know what I like about this? Paul says, hey, men look like men, women look like women. But you know what I see out of this is there are two genders here, and that's it. That's what Paul says. Amen? Amen? So a, a woman... Who has long hair? Culturally, when it when it could be a uh, it could be a covering for her. If she had to cut her hair in any way, she would put a veil over her her head. But uh, a lady's long hair is given to her for her covering. Now, I've seen denominations preach that women's strength is found in their hair. I don't know where exactly they get that. Uh, maybe that verse slightly above this. Uh, while I agree with God's divine plan or a uh, chain of command, um, you know what. Your strength doesn't come from your hair. Your strength comes from the Lord. That's it. Bottom line. <laughs> Bottom line. I, I, I'll, just, I'll just say that. You know, I, hey, here's the thing. Um, God is a God uh, of, of grace and mercy. Uh, so um, I agree with him. So I agree with the Lord. Amen. You know, God. God's strength is not based on legalism. It's based on God's grace. Right? All right. Come on. If you're with me, say, so I'm with you, Pastor. All right. Here's the point. Men look like men. Women look like women. All right. Verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practices, um, nor do the churches of God. In other words, Paul is saying... If this discussion concerning head coverings causes problems or divisions, it's not worth becoming legalistic. All right. So everything I just said. So you've got people that are fighting over this head covering thing. Paul's saying it's not worth being legalistic over, okay? Just drop it. Just let it go. The key here is the Corinthians understood head coverings. Today, people in America, we find it strange, right? It's weird to us. But the principle stays the same. Make sure that you're honoring God. And not just doing it out of legalism, right? So the the key to good theology, look, listen to me, listen to me. The key to good theology is to, to note how many times a particular subject is dealt with in Scripture. Okay? I'm going to help you out in your Bible studies because if you see it one time... You know what? There's some value to it. Uh, Things like the finished work on the cross, we see it over and over. And the importance of love, we see that over and over in the Scripture. And this is the only time this subject of head coverings is seen in all of Scripture, and it should be given proportional attention. All right? So you see it once. Yeah, we, we, we note it. We see it. We understand the cultural value of what it was doing. The key is this to take out this culturally, to be set apart. This is what I need you to get out of this. Be set apart. How many know the Lord wants you to be set apart? God cares more about your heart than what you're wearing. Ooh, come on, pastor. God loves you. Come on, how many know God loves you? All right, so so be modest. Be more like Christ than the world. Come on, somebody, right? God has a divine chain of command. When, when we submit to it, and we do our part, it benefits the kingdom of God. Amen? And it benefits us. Amen? So here's the next portion. Verse 17. The Lord's Supper. It says this. We'll be talking about that. But. Everyone say but. Having concluded his his discussion on, on women and related to women in the church, Paul moves on to talk about communion in the church. Whew. I feel good about this shift right here. All right? Moving on. Look back at verse 2. He commends the Corinthians for doing right, but here... The second part of verse 17 concerning the Lord's Supper, specifically, he doesn't commend them, but it's correction. He, he's like, in verse 2, he commends them. Hey, good job here. He's like, man, we're, we're, I'm going to tell you what it is. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the uh, for the better, but for the worse. You guys are getting together. Good things are not happening. It, it's It's not good things. So verse 18. For in the first place, when you came together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So the first issue Paul addresses here is uh, the first thing that he deals with right here is this, the same thing that he dealt with at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, division. Separation. What's separating us? So, uh you know, and this division is over communion. it's interesting to me, even celebrating the lord's Supper, they had splintered into different groups on the subject, right. What should have been something that pulled them together, they begin to to make their little faction. It reminds me of our denominations, right. Uh, we have so many denominations in the, in the world and in the united states and we uh, you know we we can't seem to ever become united on on the things that we need to become united on but we want to we want to settle on our differences and fight about this thing and that thing right some denominations say this of communion. They say every time we come together, we should be having communion. Others say no, it's not. It's as oft as we want, right? Is what the scripture uh, tells us. That some liturgical places say only allow people to take communion that are members of the church, and others say, hey, communion is for everyone, right? And I mean, I mean, there's so many different views. Even the Corinthians had found ways to make this very thing divisive. So if I'm uh, if I'm being honest, the Lord's table should be about Jesus and what He's done for us come on right his body being beaten for us his blood being poured out for our sins not our opinions on the lord's table but it should be about jesus about remembering him and I, and i find it interesting that paul would say these these you know f- uh, fractions that have broke out that those who were genuine would uh would be noticed and, 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 and it's interesting to me that, we know, when you're when you following right, God will help you rise to the top. You don't have to belittle anybody. You know, the Lord will help you out. Amen. How many know the Lord will help you in those battles? Amen. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's supper. He's talking to the Corinthians here that, that you eat. Y'all are just coming together. He's what he's saying. For in eating, each one goes ahead uh, with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What kind of communion were they taking and what in the world were they doing, right? Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you on this? No, I will not. Catch the scene. Paul had, had spent 18 months with the Corinthians, teaching them five years earlier. But after being gone th- for those five years, the Corinthians had wandered away from what he had taught them. And the agape feast is what he taught them to do. was the meal that happened on the first day of the week a Sunday. And everybody would get together. They would pull re- resources. Come on. We call that in the modern day the potluck. And everyone would come together, and they would bring something. And there was an established time for them to come together to a common place like a church or a house. And they shared a meal and everyone would partake in the Lord's Supper together. That was a central theme, you know. They would eat, but they would also take communion together. So this was was good because this would be a time where the church would feed the poor a good meal. When people that didn't have anything, they would be like, "I can go to church and I can get a I can get a meal today." And and I, I you know, and I'll say this: there's something uh, very biblical about this. I, the Lord's table will bring the rich and the poor together, and and will will bring. You know, here's the thing: we're all on the same plane when we come to the Lord's table because we all need grace. We all need mercy. Your money ain't going to get you into heaven. Come on, right? And, and they had become divided by clicks. And so they would they would have these dinners, and there was these rich people and people that would click in over here and say, "I brought this, this, this." And so we're going to sit over here and eat this, this, this. And people would be going without. Come on, how many know there's no room for clicks in the church? And then there was the other click over here that was like, "Hey, it's just going to become a wild party over here, right?" It's it's it, we just we just gonna we're gonna party it up. And Paul says, "Hey, if you're going to have clicks and you're going to eat, you know, just do that in your own home." You're humiliating the house of the Lord and you're dishonoring the table of the Lord. Communion, the Eucharist. They had become nothing more than drunken party. And the centerpiece of the agape feast was communion. And they had made a mockery of it. And they were getting drunk on it. And that's not the intent of communion. Look at this, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "'This is my body, which is for you.'" Do this in remembrance of me, verse twenty-five. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is now the new covenant in my blood. Do this, in, in as oft as you drink, in remembrance of me, verse twenty-six. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Interesting. Paul wrote this, First Corinthians, in 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 the order of of time was written before any of the Gospels. Did you know that? But Paul is quoting who? Who's Paul quoting? He's, He's quoting who? Jesus. It wouldn't be later... It would be later that, that Mark uh, would, would would say the same thing and that Luke would say the same thing. But he's, he's literally quoting Jesus. So this is interesting to me. Why was Paul able to do that? Because he had been transformed by the Lord and the Lord had showed him some things. So in order that we remember him, Jesus didn't ask for a monument. I, I like this. Jesus didn't say, hey, build me a monument. That's how you're going to remember me. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't say, hey. Make a holiday for me, so you'll remember me. No, nope. you know what he did? He said this. No, I, I'm going to establish this, at the Lord's table, every time. Every time that you come together, enjoy a meal. Enjoy a meal. Uh, you know how often do you eat in a day? Come on, you don't have to answer that. Some of you three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. I don't know. But but how many? We we all eat every day. But look what look what I enjoy eating, right? Amen. You hear me preach about it all the time. But look at Jesus. When Jesus spotted Zacchaeus in a tree, he said, Come down. I'm coming over to eat with you. Remember that? There's one. To the disciples out of the Sea of Galilee, he said, Hey, come and dine. Oh, come on, Pastor. You you I I knew I was walking in the Lord. In Luke seven thirty four it says, He eats with sinners the the scoff the the critics scoffed at him to get the picture. Lord's into eating, praise the Lord. Describing the kingdom to come, he says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah fifty two, fifty five two. It says, "Let your soul delight itself in fatness." I'm going to circle that scripture. It shouldn't surprise us that that Jesus, to remember him, would say. Drink bread, drink the fruit of the vine, and share a meal together. Verse 27 says this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. We've heard this, right? Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that is why many of you are weak, ill and some have died so on the basis of this passage many think you know, they're unworthy to partake in, in communion they're, you know, someone may be struggling with a certain sin or they may be wrestling with a temptation and, or they may have a, a, a bad thought uh, process and, but you know, and here's the thing It's the equivalent to a a doctor saying, you're sick? Go get well and come back and see me and then we'll do something about it. I mean, it is. It's it's like a loan officer saying to a poor person, hey, go get some money and then come back and then I'll I'll loan you some money, right? Or it's like a, a cook saying to someone hungry, oh, you're starving? Gain some weight, come back and I'll make you some food, right? But the truth is the Lord's table is a place... For people that are struggling with sin, wrestling with temptation, or ca- caught up in carnality, it's that person who could say, "Lord, I desperately need you. I'm struggling. I'm I'm hurting. I'm hurting right here. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I. Man, I, I can eat uh, uh, your body and I could drink your blood, knowing that I'm forgiven, Lord. I I could celebrate what you did for me." And Paul's saying this because you've lost the value of the Lord's Supper. There are those among us and among them there that are weak. Folks who are sick and people that have even died because they they didn't understand the potency and the vitality in communion. If if we aren't careful, it can become a meaningless tradition or ritual, right? Yeah. I mean, if we just do it to do it. I can think of some denominations that do it just to do it. And and, and I say this every time we take communion, and I, and I believe it. Before you partake, remember that communion is not a ritual to be observed, but a blessing to be received. I say that every time. Because it is a blessing. You know, can I just, can I just say this? Some are dry because they don't partake of communion. You know, and say, well... You know, Pastor, we don't do communion all the time around here. I do it. I, I I mean, I do it as the. I feel like the Holy Spirit nudges me in times that we need to do it. But do you know this that you could take communion at your own home? You know, there's been times where I just felt the need to take communion, and I went and I got some saltine crackers and some grape soda. Come on, or grape Kool Aid. And I just blessed the Lord in that moment. And, and he blessed my, my heart. You know, I, I, I learned this. I didn't realize this. Hippos have been known to travel 2,000 miles across Africa just to find a meal. That's, 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 that's a long ways, right? Let me ask you this. When you're dry in your heart and you're struggling, and maybe you can't make it to the church for the day or whatever the case, you can get the elements of communion in your own home and pray in that moment. And take communion, and you watch and see what god'll do. Do it as often as you want is what paul says but but don't let it lose its wonder verse thirty one but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that many uh, uh that that we may not be condemned along with the world verse thirty three so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for it. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Go home and eat. <laughs> so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give you direction when I when I come. So he's, he's going to clear up some more things when he comes. So Paul strongly, he, he admonishes the Corinthian church to approach the Lord's Supper the same way that he had taught them five years earlier. Go back, go back. To the original recipe, how many know? I, I, I mentioned it Sunday. When Coke switched the recipe, they messed up and they went back to the original recipe. How many know that we 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 gotta constantly go back to to what God made it and stop making it what we think it is? Amen. He taught them uh, uh, not to be condemned by it, but but and not to ignore it nor treat it lightly. There's there's great things there, but he and he also said this: don't make it a drunken party. And this is what what I want you to know, and this is what I want you to remember right here. When you take communion, I want you to remember what Jesus said. He said, I want you to honor me. I want you to remember me. How many of you could say, hey, I need vitality in my life. Can I tell you this? It's at the table of the Lord, and it's readily and available. And, And here's the thing. Communion makes us three things real fast. Communion makes us look back. And remember what Christ did for us. When we take communion, you know what it, it helps me? Puts the dials back at zero for me. Yeah, I see what you did for me, Lord. I saw how you were beaten on the cross. Lord, I'm reminded as I chew this little little unleavened bread in my mouth that you were chewed up. Lord, as I take this cup, this blood, I, I remember, Lord, your blood poured out for my redemption of sin, communion reminds me that Christ's pain was my gain. It's one of the only times where, you know, they say pain is gain. Well, Christ's pain was my gain. So here's the second thing communion does. It helps us look ahead. We get a taste of what is to come at the marriage supper of the Lamb, really, when we take communion together because When we take communion, we can begin to praise God. We begin to thank Him. When we're all together in heaven, when we all get to heaven, right, we're going to rejoice and we're going to be happy. Amen. How many know that Jesus is coming again? Amen. And here's the last thing. Communion lets us look within. What I love, one of the things about communion that I love is the fact that it forces me to stop and reflect about myself because sometimes I'm too busy to do that. The word of God, it sharpens me. And, the, and when I come to the table of the Lord, I, I realize I'm not worthy to do this. But, Lord, your grace is sufficient. God, if there's anything within me that isn't right, Lord, help me. Lord, sins of omission and sins of commission, God, please forgive me. Confess your sins to the Lord. I, that's, that's literally what, what it means when you you look within you just begin to say, God, I am not worthy and I don't deserve this. Will you bow your heads with me? God I know Lord that this is a challenging word Lord and it may it may rub some the wrong way but Lord I I trust you in this Lord I trust your word I stand on you God I pray Lord that you would remind us Lord of the divine order of things Lord that you have created God help us to walk according to your plan and what you have for us God help us to fulfill this as husbands as wives God, remind us, Lord, that we all belong to you, God. We are completing each other, Lord, in marriage, lot, not in competition with each other. Lord, this is a challenging thing to us. God, would you cover us with your, your blood, Lord? Would you be with us? Lord, would you remind us, Lord, that when we come to the table of the Lord, God, that it's not just a ritual, but, God, it's a remembrance of what you did for us. Lord, your pain, God, was our gain. And, God, not that... We shouldn't be reminded of what you went through on the cross, but, God, we should be reminded of your goodness and mercy towards us. So, Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, I give you all the praise. God, I give you all the glory tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, God, just make our hearts humble towards you, God. Keep us tender towards the word of God. God, and help us to grow more and more every day. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This is, I do want to say this.